the burial, the resurrection. And because of that, everything else happens. We don't, I mean, I guess we could have church in the sense of coming together as a group of people, but we don't have a church without the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't have salvation without the gospel. We don't have uh, healing without the gospel. We have nothing without the gospel. But then, and you've heard me explain it this way, the gospel's kind of like a plug. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so we understand that there is a, a way that you and I ought to plug in and receive what the gospel delivers. And so it is, there is a cause and an effect. The cause is the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection. The effect is simply, and again, there are so many verses that we could go, but again, one of the greatest verses that sort of sums it all up is the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so it is that, the Bible says, that when we repent, it's a, a way of telling this old carnal flesh that, that I don't want you around anymore. I mean, just to put it honestly, it's a spiritual death. Repentance is saying, I don't want the old me, the old carnal me, to be in control anymore. So I want it to go away. I want it to die out. That's repentance. And then the Bible says that we are buried with him in the waters of baptism. And so that's how we connect to the burial of Jesus Christ. But then as Christ was raised from the dead, so you and I are raised to life in the Holy Ghost so that we can have life in that more Abundantly. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And as I go through my message today, I would be bereft if I didn't tell you that this is a good time to connect to what God has in your life. To repent, to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, and to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We don't have a, and, and I guess maybe at some point we'll have a, 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 a time where, you know, we've had Bible studies going on and preaching about it, but we don't really do a baptism Sunday. The reason is, is because I don't want you to have to wait for a certain day to get baptized. The baptism is not something that is connected to our church or the membership of our church. Baptism is a salvation issue, and you don't need to wait for your salvation. You can read in the book of Acts, you can find when Philip, and, and all of this I think is a little bit of what Brother Reddy preached about a couple weeks ago, but you, you can find Philip, and he leaves an incredible revival, goes into the wilderness, sees the Ethiopian eunuch, gives him a Bible study, and then what is that, that statement that if you know the book of Acts, it said, it says, well, here's water, what doth hinder me from being baptized? And so I want to just remind someone today, as I begin to talk about what the church is, for you to understand that salvation is an everyday opportunity. You could call me up on Monday and say, you know what, I've been thinking about this pastor, I want to be baptized and I will find a way to baptize you. We've done it in a pool when our baptismal tank was broken. I've seen it done in lakes and rivers, but I'm so glad we have a baptismal back here that's nice and warm. We've got baptismal robes and towels ready to go because it is a way, it is the way, the way to connect to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church of the living 
God. Somebody said it this way, and I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to put some things together so we can uh, get to a common place. Jesus said in, 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 in all of the Gospels, and especially kind of at the end of the Gospels, Jesus commanded us to make disciples. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, teach them, baptize them. Peter was talking to sinners, how do you become a disciple, if you will. That's Acts 2.38. And, and he, was, he was telling them, this is how you obey the commandment of God. Brother Jeff Keck, I, uh, I believe he, pa- he pastor in, in, in Chillicothe, uh, Missouri right now. But he made this statement, and I wrote it down, and I like it. He said, Jesus told us to make disciples. Peter gave us the message to the disciples. And Paul modeled how to establish disciples. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. Peter said, this is how you do it. Paul said, this is how you continue. The church is an incredible thing. And I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, perhaps if you have a knowledge of the word of God, you will recognize 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. But you know me, I can't just read one verse. I want to jump to some verses uh, prior to that. And I want to put it all in the right context today as I preach to you the church of the living God. So Paul is writing to Timothy. Uh, We have an understanding that Timothy was a young man or at least a young minister. Maybe, uh, Maybe his age wasn't as young as we think, but his ministry was growing. And so Paul writes a letter to Timothy and we have it now for us to read, and it applies to us as well. And Peter or Paul said, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that. So let's pay attention, all right? He says, I want to come and tell you, but I can't wait. So pay attention. Here's what I want you to do. That if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. For great indeed, if we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed unto the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. And through all of those verses, I want to preach to you the church of the living God. Let's talk about what it means, the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. What does it mean? Why all of a sudden, talking about the church of the living God, does he then go in and give us this great is the mystery of godliness and and we talk about who God is. Why does he connect who God is to the church? I think it's very important. There's three pictures of the church that we could use, if you will. Three. One is the dwelling place of God. From the very beginning of time, as you and I know it, God wants a relationship with people. This is not a distant God. This is not a God that plays with uh, mankind. It, it, it's not the uh, mythology that you learned about in, in school. This is not a God that plays and, and, and just kind of uses mankind as puppets. We are not pawns on a cosmic chessboard. But instead, it's a loving God that says, I want to walk with you, Adam and Eve, in the cool of the garden. Yes, I created you, and yes, I created the cosmos. Yes, I created the universe, but I want to be with you. Of course, sin enters the garden, 
they're kicked out, they don't have that connection that they had with God, but God still doesn't leave them without a, a promise and without a relationship. God desires to dwell, and so... You, you start from Adam and Eve where they had an, an intimate, close relationship with God. Sin ruined that. The old hymns talk about the great gulf that spans between God and man. The great hymns tell us that, that now there seems to be an un, uncrossable uh, a chasm that, that we can't get to. But the blood of Jesus Christ has laid that, that, that foundation where now I have connection with God. But you have to start from Genesis. You go through all of that. And then God says, well, let's, let's begin to get a corporate relationship back. And so Moses comes along. You have the, 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 the experience on top of Mount Sinai. You have Moses and the Ten Commandments. And they build the tabernacle. Tabernacle. I think everybody knows this, but just in case you don't, tabernacle was a tent and in which that's where they worship corporately God and and there was a, a at the very back of it there was a veil there was a curtain and behind that only one person one time a year the high priest could go behind that was the ark of the covenant that symbolized the the seat of God the mercy seat of God and so it was a relationship but yet it had layers it you, you didn't have that freedom just to walk into his presence per se and then from there, the, it got place, time, place where the tent, uh, they said, you know what, we've stopped moving. We're where we are. We're in the promised land. And so David had the desire. Solomon finished it, and they built a temple. And throughout Israel's history, there were several temples that were built as they were destroyed. And, and so you then had a, a fixed place that they would have called the church, if you will. That's the first uh, picture of what the church is. It's the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle, the temple, the church. But then you have the second one, and that is a spiritual building in which Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Perhaps you'll give me time to read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in sins and trespasses, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among also whom you had your conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And you were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's talking about our sinful side. That's who you were. See, positive statement. He, he's talking, Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus. He's talking to those that have experienced what Acts 2.38 had to offer. And he says, you used to be like that. But God who was rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us, that even when you and I were dead in your sins, he quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And he didn't leave you in that, that low place. He said, and he raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness through all through Jesus Christ, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Because I preach, and I can't just follow my notes blindly, I've got to interject this. There is a difference between obedience and works. 
All right? So I can't do anything on my own that gets me to deserve, or, or better yet, I can't do anything on my own that makes me saved. All right? That's what that's saying. You can't do anything on your own. But if the Bible says you need to repent and I repent, that's not me doing my own works. That's me obeying what God's commandment says. Does that make sense? So even though there are elements of our uh, uh, physically responding to God, that is not the works that's talking about here. Works here is if you try to do it all by yourself, you can't make it. But obedience to God's word Bible says by faith we are saved. Where is workmanship? Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Remember that in times past, or that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by those who were who was who called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, covenants, or strangers rather, strangers from the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Saying, hey, I know you're not Jews. You didn't have all that things that the Jews had. Jews circumcised. They have all these things that were part of the old covenant and you were not there. You didn't have that privilege. You, you didn't have that, that uh, 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 birthright, if you will. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He is our peace which has made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Meaning no longer is there Jews on one side and everybody else on the other. No longer is there just one of God's chosen people over here in the Jews and the rest of us kind of seemingly walking all by ourselves. He said no, by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross I've made all one flesh. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I could take a whole time and read to you Romans because Romans starts off by saying, hey, if you're a Gentile, you're not saved. And if you're a Jew, you're not saved. If you're a Gentile, this is what you need to do. If you're a Jew, this is what you need to do. It all the same. And then he says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law, the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both Jews and Gentiles unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and he preached to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh, that through him we both have access to one spirit and unto the Father. Here's where I'm trying to get to. For therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And here is another example of the church. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, and in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So one element of the church, is a spiritual body that God has brought together through the gospel and, and, and we are a spiritual church. All of us make it up. So it is the building, temple, tabernacle, synagogue, church. It's the building. It's the spiritual frame of God's church. But here in the book of, of 1 Timothy, it uses a phrase that I like, and, and they're all right. It uses a phrase, and it says, the household of God. 
God's church is a family. One of Paul's favorite words that I've found in my study is he likes to use the word brethren. Now, we've come a long way from when I was a kid and some of you even farther, but when I was a kid, it didn't seem like everybody went to church. They weren't talking about it. Uh, No one talked about Joy FM on the radio when I was in school. Uh, They made fun of me that I went to church. They they didn't really share a whole lot. So uh, I remember when there was a, a Carmen came to town, those of you that are that old enough to know, I remember when Carmen came to town, one of the biggest... Uh, singers at that time and I remember hearing one or two people in my school went to that concert and I was so excited I'd never heard anybody go to a concert of a Christian artist but uh, I remember growing up and I would see I was raised totally different I wasn't allowed to call elders by their first name so it was Mr. Smith or it was and then in the church it was brother or sister and so invariably at school I would talk about brother and sister and they had no idea what I was talking about Well, this is what we're talking about because Paul said the church is a family because when a sinner believes in Jesus Christ, hears the commandment that we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, responds to that commandment, then because of that, they are born again into God's family. One of the coolest parts of Scripture is the fact that when you are saved, you can call him Abba, which means Father. He becomes your Heavenly Father. If I have a Heavenly Father and you have a Heavenly Father, they can't be separate Heavenly Fathers. So that means spiritually we become brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, Paul goes on to say in other places that you ought to treat members of the local church as you should treat members of your own family because we are spiritually family. This local church is a family, and so it's church, it's a time to be fed. Aren't you glad that as a family you eat? I'm excited about that. Maybe not y'all, but when my wife cooks up that big old roast and rice and gravy and, and bread in the oven and all of the vegetables, I get really excited about that. And the same ought to be in the church. And, and here's what we get fed in the church. It's the Word of God. The Bible says the Word of God is our bread. Another place says it's our milk. Another place says it's the meat. Another place says it's the honey. The Word of God that we get in church nourishes the family. There's a huge uh, uh, social undertaking right now that says that as a society, we've gotten away from family dinners. And so we, we, we come and everybody's on their phone and their iPad and watching TV and nobody sits around the table anymore and nobody says, hey, how was your day? How was school? And so there is a social uh, push if you will, let's get back to family dinners. Well, let me help you out in the spiritual. The reason we come to church is because it's a spiritual family dinner where we come and we are fed the word of God that nourishes us. And so it is that there. In the church, much like the families, the, the, the family, sometimes there is discipline that happens, and that's why the word of God comes. The word of God tells us when we've done wrong, it convicts us when we've done wrong, it it directs us, and, and, and so a church, there has to be an element of the word of God that disciplines us as well. It's a place in which the family of God gets encouragement and gets example. It's the spiritual church, it's the building, it's the family. 
And so it is that there's two phrases that I want to point, the church of the living God. First, the church. It comes, and there's a lot of places I could go, but one of the most common translations is a Greek word called uh, ekklesia. It means to assemble. That same word can be used of political rallies. That same word could be used of... of uh, anytime people assemble together, they, they come, but about a hundred times in the New Testament, it's specifically used to talk about local churches, assemblies of believers. And so there's a, a lot of assemblies, but here's the thing. It's not just a place where people get together. If, if church is only a place where we get together, we're no different than any other gathering of people. A bar can be an assembling place. In fact, they use the phrase a watering hole, if you will. A, a, a political rally could, could have the same connotations as a church. If we just wanted to go to a concert uh, somewhere, you know, one of the, 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 the O'Fallon you know, concerts at Civic Park, that's a, an assembling together. But we are not just the church. I'm so glad that he didn't just say the church, which means the assembling, but he said the church of the living God. The glory of the church is that we are not some temple to a dead deity. We're not some mausoleum or museum to some deceased philosopher. So let me put you back in 1 Timothy. Timothy is there in Ephesus, and in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple to Diana. That temple would have been there later on. I'll tell you about some other things uh, on that temple. But it was, again, if you go look up the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Diana was one of those. It was a magnificent structure. But it was celebrating a dead, deceased God. Paul wanted Timothy to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the church of the living God is far different than the temple of a God that doesn't exist or that, that is not alive. And so when he talks about the church, he says we're not just an assembling, but we are an assembling for those who are recognizing that God is alive and well and working. So listen to me carefully. I hope you learn something by the teaching today. I hope you get something out of it. But when you come to church, please don't come to church just to learn. Go to school if you want to just learn. Don't come to church just to meditate or just to commune in silent thought process. But when you walked into this building today and every day, you are walking into the church of the living God. That God is alive and well and wants to work in your behalf. If you came broken, you're coming to a place where God can fix the brokenness. If you come hurting, you're coming to a place where there is a live, living God that wants to touch your brokenness. If you come sinful and full of sin, then you've come to a place where the living God wants to give you salvation. The church of the living God. That's why the lighthouse exists. The lighthouse is just a small part of the church of the living God. There's thousands and I, hundreds of thousands, I assume, churches across this world that, that, that are part of that church of the living God. It's not relegated or connected to a denomination. It's not relegated or connected to a movement. It's not, it's not predicated by the, the, the preacher. It's not predicated by uh, a, a personality, if you will. 
It's the church of the living God. It's not the church of Brandon Buford. It's not Brandon Buford Ministries. It's the church of the living God. And then Paul, Paul goes on to say that not only is it the church of the living God, the household of God, but it is a pillar and the buttress or the ground of truth. This architectural image springs to mind, pillars. It is told that in Ephesus there, that, that temple of Diana had 127 pillars. Paul was very uh, specific when he connected things. This church is built on Jesus Christ, the truth. But also the local church is a pillar for the truth. And, and so listen to me, I'm, I'm going to try to explain this, but uh, th- there's a few things that you need to understand. First off, the, the church, no, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, for no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. If any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's works will be made manifest. For one day the, the, the day shall declare it, and it shall be revealed with fire, and the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. And so here it is. I cannot build the church on any other foundation than that which Jesus Christ himself laid through his word. So, if I try to tell you and preach something and deliver something different from what God's word said, I'm trying to lay a different foundation. And there are churches, plenty of churches, that have laid a different foundation than what God's word has said. Because they forgot that they were the church of the living God and they somehow came to the realization we're the church of Brandon Buford pastor or we're the church of this denomination or we're the church of this uh, persuasion. No, I am the church of the living God and so I have to make sure everything I do and everything this church does is founded on the word of God. So it is that the church then should become the basis of truth. Let me, let, let me keep going for just a moment. We'll, we'll, we'll get somewhere here in, here in a minute. Then it goes on to say 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Without controversy, greatest mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. I have used that verse to talk about the beauty of God who God is and how he revealed himself. And it, it, it's, it's powerful in that sense. But there are two points that need to be made because you don't take that verse all by itself and just kind of put it out in the open. It's connected to what happened before the church of the living God. And so it is first that the church, this is the revelation of God and it's the manifestation of Christ, the revelation of God. He's the life in the light of the church. So watch this. That Jesus was manifest in the flesh. That phrase right there has to imply the divinity of Christ because no one has ever said, Brother Randall, you were born in the flesh. Duh. We're human. So that's like saying, hey, Brother Randall, you were born a human. Well, that's good because I, but when it says, because manifest, or, 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 or manifest in the flesh, basically this is what it says. God birthed himself in flesh. 
because of that, that insinuates he wasn't flesh to begin with. God became flesh. He revealed himself in flesh. It's to say it's essential to understand that deity was manifested. And and here's what I love. uh, One of the commentators that I was reading put it this way. I'd never heard about it. But man, when I began to read it, Brother Perryman, light bulbs went boom, boom, boom. This manifestation of God was not made so that, that we could understand it. But instead, it was for our senses. I may not understand how can God become flesh, but Peter, James, and Paul, they saw him. So their eyes said, I don't know how he got here, but I see him. I can feel him. I can touch him. I I, I know who he is. And so while I may not understand it all, he was revealed for our senses to recognize him. There was a real incarnation. He was manifest in the flesh. Or as John might say in John chapter 1 verse 1, the word was made flesh. And he was justified in the spirit. He was approved. Now, as I begin to study, I think it's a little bit different. Maybe maybe I'll get a little deep for a moment. But but I realize that, that, that God manifests in the flesh. Obviously the spirit, because uh, c- God is a spirit, it's obviously there. But maybe it's a little bit deeper than that. Because you and I are made up of flesh and we're made up of spirit. You've heard me say that over and over and over. And so it is that the spirit is the counterpart to the flesh. That Christ fulfilled all righteousness. And if his manifestation in the flesh showed and exhibited his true and real humanity, then it's his justification in the spirit that exhibited his perfect holiness and his perfect perfection. And so you begin to find in this a series of parallel clauses. Flesh, spirit. He was seen of angels at the very simple uh, simplest way of understanding this at, 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 on, on the, that, that Christmas time and by the way we're getting really close to Christmas in case you're wondering I leaned over to my wife while we were driving uh, here a couple days ago and I said do you realize because last week my wife and I we were at Missouri Kids Camp all week long preaching and so that week flies by this week is Missouri Conference it's going to fly by and then I have kind of a week off, if you will, where there's not a whole lot happening. And I'm kind of excited about that. And then the very next week is North American Youth Congress. That week's going to fly back. Now we're in August. And then, of course, school starts in August. And then, and then as soon as that happens, it's September. And there's a whole bunch that's happening in September. There's men's conference in September. There's our general conference in September. And so that's going to fly by. And then October 4th is my birthday. And so I'm really looking forward to that. I just want to throw that out. Some of y'all, y'all do whole birthday months. I'm just scrabbling for one little day, so got to make sure it's in there. And then it's going to be hunting season. Then it's going to be Thanksgiving, and then it's going to be Christmas, and we're going to start singing Christmas carols. And if this year is like any other year, they'll start singing Christmas carols around August 31st. And they'll say, hark, the herald angels sing. It was at his incarnation that he was seen of angels. They announced his advent. They ministered to him. They heralded his resurrection. They attended him in his triumphal return to heaven. And now they see him in his glorification. And he was also preached unto Gentiles, a pair of opposites. 
If the angels inhabit the heavens, then the Gentiles inhabit the earth, if you will. He was believed on in the world and received into glory. The world and his glory seem to be so far apart. But Jesus brings them nigh. Here's what the church is all about. Oh, I want to come together and have fun. I want to shake each other's hands and... I want to I want to enjoy life and I want to see how you're doing and I want to sing the songs and I want to worship. The main truth of what the church of the living God is is that you and I bear witness to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, empowered to do miracles, raised from the dead. This is the challenge that the church of the living God takes on. How will you behave? He says, so now that you are the church of the living God and now that you realize it's the pillar and buttress of the truth and great is a mystery of godliness, and then it, but it goes on to have this little phrase in there, how one ought to behave in the house of God. Somebody said it this, it's not do-havior, it's be-havior. What I do can be accidental. Do you know that? Any of you just kind of accidentally done something? That's not behavior. Behavior is a word as big as the word we say character. It's a vocabulary all in itself. What I do may be accidental, but what I am is everything. See, behavior reveals a lot about a person. I can look at all of our behavior. I'm not talking about if you have bad behavior, because see, again, that's part of the vocabulary. You can have good behavior, you can have bad behavior. Behavior in and of itself, it's who you are. It's, it's, it's what you are. But I could look about your behavior and I could find a whole lot. Are you a gentle person or are you a hard person? Are you a forgiving person or an unforgiving? Are you selfish or generous? Are you appreciative or unthankful? That's, that's all part of our behavior. Somebody else said behavior is a one-hour sermon, or an every-hour sermon, rather. That every hour your behavior preaches a sermon. And so here's what I want you to get out of that. Are you ready? When we come to church, religion is not what you do on Sunday night at church or Sunday morning. It's not the rituals and the ceremony. That's not what the church is. I don't come to church and become somebody completely different than who I was on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. If you do that, in fact, I think I said that wrong. Let me, let me back up for a minute. Religion is ceremony and rituals and doctrines and that's what religion is. I, I could, I've met so many people, it blows my mind. I've met so many people in my life that on Sundays, they're absolutely completely different. They know the motions. They know the, 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 the chants. They know the, 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 the calls and the responses. They can put on a garment and masquerade, and they've got it all down. That's religion. But if you're part of the church of the living God, something completely different. You can 
bend your knee and go through the elements of prayer all you want. But if your life is not a, a, an unending, Bible says pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you're talking 24 hours a day. But it means that you live a life of prayer. That prayer is nothing unless your life is a prayer. Another person put it this way. Praise is nothing unless your life is a garment of praise. It's the church of the living God. So it is that he said, I want you to know how you ought to behave. That doesn't mean how to come into church and behave. Hopefully there's just an innate reverence on the house of God that kind of is built in with everybody there. Yeah, you, you might dress in a suit and tie on a Sunday morning and never dress in a suit and tie anywhere else. I, I understand that. But the church of the living God changes something in us. In fact, Paul spent a lot of time talking about how to behave. It talks about he, he addressed pastors and deacons. He he talked about how women's and wives ought to act. He talked about husbands and men, how you ought to act. He talked about how you deal with marriage and the ruling of children. All of that is how you ought to behave because you're part of the church of the living God. Because the behavior is twofold. First off, it starts with the reverence and fear of the God we serve. One of the reasons I've repented of my sins is because I put myself in the line of God's sight and I begin to realize I'm a sinner. I begin to look at the holiness and the presence of God. I begin to look at how awe-inspiring God is, but I also begin to look how loving and kind and gracious He is. And when I put those two together, See, some people only see the some people only see the awe of God. And they say, I can never match up. And so they have a an unhealthy fear of God. He's God way up here and he throws lightning bolts at me and, and he doesn't love me and he doesn't like me and, and I'm doomed. I'm I'm destined to fail. And some people only see the grace of God. Oh, God loves me, but they don't see the awe of God, so they never desire to change. I saw both of them. And I said, because of who God is, I want to be like him. And I can't get there the way I am. I can't get there on my own. But God is gracious enough. And I've read his word and I've heard the preaching and I've heard the man of God speak. And so I'm going to do what he says so that I can come into his presence. Repented, baptized, Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost. So part of it is that reverence. The Bible says, you shall reverence my sanctuary, saith the Lord. It's his temple. So I come into his glory. But I like the fact that it's the church of the living God. This is not the church of the God of Abraham alone. It's not the church of the God of Isaac alone or Jacob. But but if I could if I could bring that out, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and I could keep going down, I could then begin to say in that same voice, it's the God of Brandon Buford, and Zane Buford, it's the God, and you, you need to put your name there, and so because of that, we're not building temples as monuments for some past glory, but instead, he said, yeah, do this in remembrance of me, but then he followed up, I said, I go away, and I come again. It's it's that verse that says where two or three are gathered together He is there in the midst of them. 
So the church of the living God, we come together and we worship a living God. Paul said to the Thessalonians, and, and I'm paraphrasing, we ought to behave ourselves in an unblameless manner. The psalmist said this, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Say, Pastor, where are you getting besides just a lecture? Well, it goes all the way to right here. The early church preached the truth. But if you read the book of Acts, you will find a lot of debate that went on. In fact, that's usually why the the apostles were thrown in prison, because they would try to debate, and they would walk into it, and they'd say, this is what the Word of says. And, And I will tell you this, that... Most often arguments or debates is not how you win someone. In fact, it kind of made those uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, it kind of made them even madder and they beat them and poured them in oil. But instead, the victory of the early church, read the book of Acts, the victory of the early church was won because of that church's behavior. Because they said, we're going to live a changed life. And so when I walk out of our church building, I don't walk out of the church. So I walk out and people see the change. They see the behavior. Why? Because I'm part of the church of the living God. Could we stand today? Someone put it this way so eloquently. That there is no sacred book that will preserve a religion without a sacred life. Listen to me very carefully. I believe this Bible to be unfallible. I believe this Bible to be true. I believe this Bible to be awesome, holy, perfect, blameless. But if my life is not as sacred as I hold this book sacred, then I've rendered this book useless in the eyes of all that see me. Did you catch that? You can talk about the word of God. You can talk about the truth of God all you want. But if the truth of God hasn't changed your behavior, then you've rendered that book useless in all who see you. We're going to do our best to make this church a good-looking church. We try to paint it occasionally. We try to make sure it's clean. We try to make sure it looks good. But in reality, you are the church of the living God. And how you act and how you allow the word to change you is what matters most. Would you lift your hands for just a moment? Father, I'm beyond grateful that I can be in your presence. Lord, to realize first and foremost that you in all of the the lifetime of humanity that you haven't given up on us. In fact, you kept moving forward until you came to earth, became flesh, that manifestation of deity. And Lord, you became flesh so that you might draw all men unto you and you said, I'm going to fix the gulf that spans between God and man. And so Lord, first and foremost, I'm thankful that I can come into your presence 
and I can lift up my hands and I don't have to go through a priest and I don't have to go through all the rituals but I can lift up my hand and instantly I can feel your presence. I'm thankful that tears can roll down my face at times, that I can sing for joy, that I can lift up hands that are holy, that I can worship, I can shout and I can dance and I can praise you, Lord. I'm thankful for that relationship and Lord, I want that more and more. I don't ever want a church service to go by that I'm not able to be in your presence. I don't ever want to walk out of a church service and and have to say I didn't feel God. And if I didn't feel God, it's not your fault, Lord. It's mine. So God, I'm thankful for that relationship. I'm thankful for the building of the church, the saints upon saints together. You've given us all uh, different gifts. You've given us all a myriad of, uh, of different talents. And Lord, you've built us together as a spiritual habitation for you we're all connected the body of Christ we all have our place our position we all have our job we all have our purpose I'm thankful Lord for the house of God I'm thankful for my brothers and my sisters I'm thankful that I can come together and worship and we can join together in that symphony of praise I'm thankful for that but oh God let me walk in that right behavior Let me not just be saved at church. Let me be saved on Monday. Let me not be sanctified only on church nights, but let me be sanctified on a Tuesday at work. And let me walk with you, the church of the living God. Because God, that's the first part of who the church is. There's some other parts we'll come to later, but the first part is we're the church.